Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to More. And we're recording episode nine today, and so I'm so excited about it. Today, we are going to do part two of scroll number two. Mark, I will greet this day with love in my heart. But before we get into the meat of the scroll, I just want to um, say a little bit about the book. And I haven't really said that the ending of the book is pretty exciting and quite fascinating. I love the ending of the book. But we don't get to the ending of the story of Hafid and his life and how the scrolls have impacted his life until we get through all the scrolls. So I just wanted to let you know, be beware and get excited to finish up the scrolls and then I'll finish up the story. We left off last week talking about Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin and how they really worked hard to love other people and what a difference it made for their lives. As we continue on in the book on scroll, the scroll marked two at that point, it says, and this is probably my favorite part of the scroll. It says, Always will I dig for reasons to applaud. Never will I scratch for excuses to gossip. And I think the wording chosen on those in that sentence is so powerful that you dig for reasons to applaud others and you scratch for excuses to ob- to gossip. And it's so easy to like, it's just like natural almost to like, criticize other people and find fault with other people and find what they're not doing well. And so sometimes we have to work and we have to dig. I like to get, I like to garden and I like to plant flowers and, but the, the, one of the biggest problems with gardening is, are the weeds and literally to get things better, you have to dig and dig to get the roots out and you have to get the weeds out. You have to get them clear down to the roots. And so you have to really dig. And sometimes, and I, so I like that analogy that if you want to um, love other people, you have to sometimes dig to look for reasons to applaud them when you're upset or when you're hurt or offended, but it doesn't do you any good to harbor and hold on to those feeling negative feelings. Let them go. Look for things that you're that you like about other people, make it a habit and it will change your life. I've been reading in John and the Bible and in John, it says, you know, if you're my disciples, Jesus Christ is saying, if you're my disciples, you, you have love one to another in John 13. And whether you're a, a Bible believer or not, I truly believe that when you love other people, you enrich your own life. Um, this commandment in the Bible is, is difficult sometimes to love all, even our enemies. Sometimes we have to go beyond the barriers of race or class or family relationships. It's easy really to be kind to those who are kind to us. Uh, it's really easy, but we really are commanded to love everybody and to cultivate a genuine fellowship and kinship with every human being on earth. So who are we going to bar from our circle? Are we going to keep someone out of our circle? I truly believe that when we limit other people and we bar other people from our circle, 
and we don't bring everybody in, then we don't have love in our heart for everybody and we are closing our heart and we're not enriching our lives. Um, I've been reading this book called Banker to the Poor. And, you know, look, I tell my students at school, reading is so powerful. And it's one of the greatest things that you can have in this life is reading. I think as I get a little older, I think if I lost my eyesight, what would I do? Because reading is just so much to me. But um, I've been reading this book called Banker to the Poor. And this man is... He, he goes to Bangladesh and he sees these poverty stricken people. And I mean, there's thousands of them and women who like 21, he, he tells the story of a 21 year old girl who has three children and she works 10 hours a day to make a stool and she has to borrow. I can't remember the amount of money he's, he said it's in it's in the in the money that they have there but it was like equivalent to like 22 cents so he borrows like the 22 cents or she she borrows the materials to make this stool and it costs her 22 cents of borrowing materials she makes the stool for 10 hours a day and she sells the stool for like 24 cents so she makes 2 cents a day what you know, on this stool that she spent 10 hours doing. And this, this was what he saw on a regular basis with thousands of people in Bangladesh. And so he took it upon himself to figure out a way to create a banking system that they can borrow money and, um, make their lot in life better. And that is, that is, that is called charity and love to the ultimate where and he's literally helped thousands of people. I haven't finished the book, but I know that he goes on to this banking system is huge and it's a way to help poor people um get out of the lot in life that they're in. And so it's like really looking outside of yourself and that's really what we need to do if we want to find happiness whether we're Christian or not. True happiness comes from serving and caring about other people more than we do our own selves. So we really need to dig for reasons to applaud others and scratch for excuses to gossip. And then it goes on to say, when I am tempted to criticize, I will bite on my tongue. And when I move to praise, I will shout it from the roofs. So just think about that a little bit and how much time do you spend praising others and lifting others and finding the good in others rather than tearing each other down. I think often we feel like when we tear someone down, it lifts us up because they're not as good now. They're not as good. So it builds us up. But in reality, it makes our hearts small. I love this next story. It's more than we really actually need to do, but it does help us see that this man was not thinking of himself. It's funny because I've run across the story twice in the last week, so I feel like I should I should share it. Um, it's the story of a Washington, D.C. aircraft that crashed into the cold waters of the Potomac River. And I think all of us would nod our heads in unison that this one man is our favorite. He was in the river with three other people holding on to some debris that was there, and a helicopter came overhead, to rescue the people 
And the helicopter dropped the rope and this man handed the rope to another person who was, who was rescued. And so they lifted the man in the helicopter and took the man back. And then they came back with the rope and then it was dropped again and he got it and he handed it to somebody else. And the helicopter kept coming one at a time. And they repeated this, I think three times. And when the helicopter returned after this third time, that man was gone. The waters, the cold waters of the Potomac River had overtaken him and he drowned in the cold waters. And it's just the fact that the man was willing to give it to somebody else. I mean, that that would be really hard. And all, all, all I'm talking about is praising other people, looking for the good in other people, not being so much about yourself as about others. And I think that that's... It's hard. It's hard to do sometimes, but we can do it. I know like, um, my husband just had surgery and I've had multiple surgeries and, you know, he's talking about how tired he is and, and how much it has taken out of him. And it's so easy for me to go and say, yeah, well, I've done that. I've done that. But instead what I need to do is say, yeah, I understand how you feel. It's really exhausting. And And really extend that love instead of thinking, well, I've been there. You know, I think sometimes it's just our natural tendency to not extend the love. And so the small things, like I've talked about, are the big things. Another part in the book, Greatest Salesman, in the scroll, it says, I will love the ambitious for they can inspire me. So you love people who are out going and doing and becoming because they inspire you to want to be better. But then it says, I will love the failures for they can teach me. So people who aren't succeeding, who fail, then they they teach you what it's like. And then you have more empathy when you see that other people fail also. He says, I will love the kings for they are but human. I will love the meek for they are divine. I will love the rich, for they are yet lonely. And I will love the poor, for they are so many. I will love the young for the faith they hold. I will love the old for the wisdom they share. I will love the beautiful for the eyes of sadness. And I will love the ugly for their souls of peace. And so really, it's encompassing loving everybody and greeting every person that you meet with love and looking on their heart and saying, I love you. And... um. I love this next story. The story is called The Old Fisherman, and it's about a family who lived across the street from John Hopkins Hospital. And they lived downstairs, and they rented the upstairs rooms to patients who would come in and out of the hospital. And the lady goes on to say how one, one evening she was fixing dinner, and there was a knock on the door. And she opened the door to this really ugly, awful looking man. And it was so, so awful. And he was just a short little, short little man. And he had a shriveled old body, but the most appalling thing was his face was kind of lopsided from swellingness and redness. And he asked the woman if he could stay at their place for one night because he'd been at a treatment that morning and there wasn't a bus for him to take back until the next morning. He said he'd been hunting for a room for quite some time and he had had no success. And he says, it's probably my face. I know it looks terrible, but the, uh, the treatments are supposed to help it. And then he says, look, I could just even just sleep on the rocking chair 
on your porch. The woman hesitated for a minute, but then she felt some compassion and she said, no, I'll, I'll find you a place. You don't need to sleep on the porch. So she said, well, rest here on the porch. And she went in and finished dinner and got a bed ready. And when dinner was ready, she said, would you like to come in and join us? And he said, no, I have plenty. And he held up a brown paper bag. So after dinner was done and the dishes were done, the woman went out to the porch and was visiting with the man and saw that the man had this oversized heart in this tiny little crippled body. And she learned that he was a fisherman for a living and he was supporting his daughter and her husband and their five children because the son-in-law was crippled from a back injury. And he was just so grateful that um, he was able to help them and that no pain accompanied the disease of, that he had, um, which apparently was skin cancer and caused him to look so awful. So when bedtime came, they got a cot and they put it in their kid's room and he slept there. And then when she got up in the morning, she could see that all the sheets and the blankets that, that they had given to him were all neatly folded and the man was just out on the porch. And he refused breakfast, but before he left for his bus, he asked a favor. He said, could I please come back and stay the next time I have to have a treatment? I won't put you out even a bit. I'll just sleep fine in a chair. And he said, you know, your children made me feel so at home. Grownups are bothered by my face, but children don't seem to mind. So she told him he was welcome to come and he left. And then as time went on, um, his next trip, he arrived again a little after seven in the morning and he brought a big fish and a quart of the largest thing of oysters she'd ever seen he told her that he had shucked them and got them all ready right that morning so they'd be fresh for them and she knew that his bus left at 4 a.m and she wondered what time he got up to have those oysters fresh and ready for their family as time went on years actually went on he continued to stay there and there was never a time that he didn't bring fish or oysters or vegetables from the garden in fact, there were other times that they received packages in the mail um, of these types of deliveries, and she knew that he had to walk three miles in the mail, or in you know three miles to get these in the mail, and with little the little money that he had to deliver these goods. When she'd get these packages, she would often remember when the man first came and the comment that her next door neighbor made after he left, the neighbor said, did you keep that awful looking man last night? I turned him away. You can lose rumors by putting up such kind of people. And she said, maybe, maybe she did lose a rumor once or twice, but if they only could have known this man, um, maybe their lives would have been easier to bear because she knows how their family was so grateful to know and love this man. And she remembered visiting a friend who had a greenhouse and they came to one of the most beautiful flowers in the whole greenhouse and it was just bursting with bloom. And to her surprise, it was growing in an old dented rusted bucket. And she thought to herself, if this were my plant, I'd put it in the loveliest container I had. Um, but her friend said, well, I ran short of pots and knowing how beautiful this one would be, I thought it wouldn't mind starting out in this old pail. It's just for a little while till I can put it back in the garden. 
And she must have wondered why the woman laughed so delighted, delightedly, but she was imagining just such a scene in heaven where here was this especially beautiful fisherman who God might have said when he came, you know, in heaven to um, giving the soul to this fisherman, he won't mind starting out in this small body. That's a touching story to me. And I think sometimes we judge other people by how they look or the clothes that they wear, and we don't reach out. We don't bring somebody in to our circle. I taught a student last year, and she was so cute. She would call different people often who weren't in her friend group and invite them into the circle. And I just think that there's ways for us to reach out to other people in small ways. I mean, I know I can do it so much more. And if we're looking for those ways, and that's why by listening to this podcast, it's on our mind and we're thinking about how can we love other people more? How can we include other people and bring them into our circle? I really love this story that Mother Teresa tells. Mother Teresa is a very famous or was a very famous nun in the Catholic Church. She died in 1997 and She devoted her life to caring for the sick and the poor. And she tells the story that she says, I'll never forget the night a gentleman came to her house and said, there's a Hindu family with eight children and they haven't eaten. Do something for them. So I took rice and I went, she says. And when I came there, I could see the faces of the children shining with hunger and their eyes full of hunger. And the mother took the rice from my hand and she divided it into two and she went out. When she came back, I asked her, where did you go and what did you do? And she gave me a very simple answer. They are hungry also. Her next door neighbors, a Muslim family, she knew that they were hungry. I was not surprised that she gave, but I was so surprised that she knew. And that was something so beautiful to see, even in the woman's suffering and in her sorrow and in her terribly, terrible bodily hunger. She knew that her her neighbors were hungry also. So we are we aware of what other people are going through or do we only know what we're going through? We do we only see eye do we only have the eyes to see what we're going through or do we see the challenges and needs of other people? That is a gift and it takes practice and it takes work and it takes constant thinking of others. But if you think back to the scripture in Corinthians where you know, if you have charity, if you can, if you have enough faith to move mountains, but you don't have charity, it's as nothing. I truly believe that love is the greatest, greatest thing we can do for other people. I have two more stories, so I'm going to go maybe a little bit longer on this podcast and finish up the scroll on love. But I just love these next two stories. Well, the fisherman's story, I've known it for years and years, and I've had it forever. In this next story, I've had forever. And it's called Appointment with Love, and it's about this lieutenant in the army, and it's six minutes to six, and he's arranged to meet someone in New York's Grand Central Station. And um, he'd never met the woman, and it was six minutes to six, and he was going to meet this woman that he'd been writing. And he remembers one particular day where he was in the worst fighting in the army when his plane had been caught in a pack of enemy planes and 
Of course, now it's five minutes to six. And he remembers in one of his letters that he was so scared. And he told her how scared he was in these situations. And she said, of course, you're scared. All brave men are, are fearful. Next time you doubt yourself, I want you to hear my voice reciting these words to you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. And he remembered that though this girl had told him this, and, and it, it gave him renewed strength, and he was so excited to hear the woman's, the girl's voice, you know, her real voice, and to meet her for the first time. And now it's four minutes to six, and a girl passes really close to him, and the lieutenant stares at him, and she's wearing a flower, but it wasn't the rose that they'd agreed upon. They'd agreed that she was going to wear this red rose, and that's how they would know who each other was, because they'd been writing for all this time, but they didn't never met each other. And this was long before the days of, um, you know, Instagram and social media and everything else, all the phones that we have. And this girl that went by was only about 18, and the woman that he was going to meet, her name was Helen Taylor, and she said she was older than that. So now it's three minutes to six. Mind went back to a book that he'd been reading in training camp. It was called Eternal Love, and throughout the book were notes in the woman's writing. He never believed that a woman could see into a man's heart so tenderly and so understandingly. Her name was on the book plate, Helen Taylor. He'd gotten a hold of a few New York City telephone books and found her address. He'd written. She answered. Next day, he'd been shipped out, but they'd continued to write. For 13 months, she faithfully replied. When his letters didn't arrive, she wrote anyway. And now he believed he loved her and she loved him. Two minutes to six. But she'd refused all of his plans to send him her photograph. She explained, if your feeling for me had any reality, what I look like won't matter. Suppose I'm beautiful. I'd always be haunted that you had been taking a chance on just that. And that kind of love would disgust me. Suppose I'm plain. And you must admit that, hey, this is probably far more likely. Then I'd always fear that you were only going on writing because you were lonely and had no one else. No, don't ask for my picture, she'd say. When you come to New York, you shall see me and then you shall make your decision. A young woman was coming toward him. Her figure was long and slim, and her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers, and her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. In her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. He started toward her, forgetting to notice that she was not wearing the rose. And as he moved, a small smile curved her lips. "'Go in my way, soldier,' she murmured. He made one step closer to her, then he saw Helen Taylor. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a woman well past 40, her graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, and her thick ankled feet were thrust into low-heeled shoes. But she wore a red rose on her rumpled coat. The girl in the green suit was quickly walking away. The lieutenant felt as though he were being split into two. So keen was his desire to follow the girl in the green suit, yet so deeply was his longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned and upheld his own through her letters, and there she stood. He could see that her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm twinkle. What should the lieutenant do? 
Should he turn and run while he still had a chance? Or should he be true and faithful to the woman and accept to the woman whose letters had so faithfully given him the courage to face the danger while he was in the army? What would he do if the love which had developed through her letters was real? What do you think you would do in this situation? The lieutenant didn't hesitate. His trembling fingers gripped the worn copy of the book, Eternal Love, which was to identify him to her. This may not be love, but it would be something precious, a friendship for which he had been and must ever be grateful. He squared his shoulders, stepped forward, saluted, and held the book out toward the woman. Although, even while he spoke, he felt the bitterness of his disappointment. I, I'm Lieutenant John Craxton, and you, you're Miss Taylor. I'm so glad you could meet me. May, may I take you to dinner? I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered. That young lady in the green suit? She begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said that if you asked me to go out with you, I should tell you. She's waiting for you in that restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of a test. And I haven't read that story in a while. I I had to stop and re, re-record because I was so choked up. Because that's such a touching story. Like, why do we love? How do we love? Do we love? Is our love real? Or is it imagined? Is it based on what people look like? The popularity of other people? Does our love have limits and bounds? Um, okay, last story. And this takes us to the real-life day-to-day happenings. And I see this all the time in school. The the story is called An A for Mrs. B. And the girl says, I was sitting next to Missy in my ninth-grade world history class when Mrs. Bartlett announced a new project. In groups, we were to create a newspaper around the culture that we were studying. On a piece of paper, we wrote the names of three friends that we wanted in our group. After collecting all the requests, Mrs. B said that she would take into consideration all the names we chose and let us know the results of the groups the next day. I had no doubt I'd get the group of my choice. There were only a handful of sociably decent people in the class, and Missy was one of them. I knew we had chosen each other. The next day, I anxiously awaited the class. After the bell rang, Missy and I stopped talking as Mrs. B called for attention. She started to call out names, and when she reached group three, Missy's name was called. So I'm in group three, I thought. The second, third, and fourth members of the group were called, and my name was not included. There had to be some mistake. Then I heard it, the last group. Morrow, Juliet, Rachel, Karina. My name. I could feel the tears well in my eyes. How could I face being in that group? The boy who barely spoke English. The one girl who was always covered by skirts that went down to her ankles, and the other girl who wore weird clothes. Oh, how badly I wanted to be with my friends. I fought by the tears as I walked up to Mrs. B. She looked at me, and I knew knew what I was there for. I was determined to convince her that I should be in the good group. Why? I started. She gently placed a hand on my shoulder. I know what you want, Karina, she said. But your group needs you. I need you to help them get a passing grade on this assignment. Only you can help them. I was stunned. I was humbled. I was amazed. She had seen something in me that I hadn't seen. Will you help them, she asked. I stood straighter. Yes, I replied. I couldn't believe it came out of my mouth, but it did. I had committed. 
As I bravely walked to where the others in my group sat, I could hear the laughter from my friends. I sat down and we started. Different newspaper columns were assigned according to interests. We did research. Halfway through the week, I felt myself enjoying the company of these three misfits. There was no need for pretending. I grew sincerely interested in learning something about them. Morrow, I found out, was struggling with the English language and his lack of friends. Juliet was also alone <clears throat> because people didn't understand that she was only allowed to wear long skirts or dresses because of her religion. Rachel, who had requested to do the fashion column, wanted to be a fashion designer. She had a whole barrel of unique ideas. What a walk in another person's shoes did for me. They weren't misfits, just people that no one cared enough about to try to understand. <clears throat> Except Mrs. B. Her insight, vision, and thoughtfulness brought out the potential in four of her students. I don't recall what the newspaper's headline was or even the culture we wrote about, but I did learn something that week. I was given a chance to see other people in a new light. I was given the opportunity to see in myself a potential that inspired my actions in later years. I learned that who we are is more important than, that than what we are or seem to be. After that semester ended, I always received a friendly hello from my group, and I was always genuinely happy to see them. Mrs. B gave us an A on that assignment. We should have handed it right back, for she was the one who truly deserved it. And I got really choked up telling that story because I guess I think of my students. So many of them are like that. You know, are you the kind of person that, that you love other people for just who they are and that you reach out and widen your circle and include others and love others and build up others? I hope that these last two podcasts have inspired you to love more and to love more deeply and to love every single person, every single person that you meet. Your, every person that you're with, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your teacher, the ugly, the pretty, everybody, I hope that these stories have inspired you and I hope that you'll think on this and that it will change your life and that you will learn to love deeply. And, and I just love this, the, these last two podcasts and I hope they've inspired you and and I hope that you'll share these podcasts with other people and that you'll contact me at howtobemore333 at gmail.com. And let's share and love and grow and be more in our lives. And until next time, pod, um, scroll number three. And I will see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks.